Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Welcome to the show. Dan here along with Phil Hay from The Athletic. And we've got a new sponsor for the Monday show, which is very exciting. Phil. Uh, the show is brought to you by West Yorkshire Electrical, specialists in all things electrical. If it's got wires, they work with it, which I think is a good uh, a good slogan, isn't it? Fantastic. I'm about to have a new kitchen fitted, so if they want to come around and um, do some freebies, be my guest. Well, West Yorkshire Electrical, they, they sponsored the uh, Reavy, Wilco and Bielsa mural that's in Geisley, so they are good people, very reliable. Uh, fully accredited, full range of services, far too many to mention here, but we'll do them in the coming weeks both for your home and for your business. So that's good, Phil, isn't it? They specialise in renewable technologies as well. So I was going to say, you know, your loft conversion, if you've got a little bit of roof mm-hmm. space left, solar panels, get those on oh, your roof. Oh, great shoot. Yeah. Great shoot. What would, what would they have done with me when I had wires sticking out of me? And then, um, <laughs> oh, <old> gee, <laughs> the <old GI. laughs> They would have had a go at fixing you there as well. Home and, uh, home and business. Not uh, percent VAT government offer at the minute as well on solar panels. They do battery storage for your home and business, electrical vehicle charging for your home and business. Uh, cover the whole of Yorkshire and beyond. So you are over there in York, Phil. You're in the right um, the right wheelhouse. They might even venture to Manchester as well, if you ask them nicely, but no promises on that front. Uh, finance available for your home or business uh, for work done on those. And wyelectrical.co.uk for details or search West Yorkshire Electrical on your socials. So we welcome them aboard, uh, Jamie and the team from West Yorkshire Electrical. And into it, Phil, then. The start of the week show, uh, where we review the weekend's action and... Feels like ages ago, doesn't it? It's weird having a, a Saturday, Sunday all to yourself. You led off your report, actually, on The Athletic about the atmosphere at Ellen Road. And did you, like me, feel like there was a bit of a sea change coming? Yeah, good atmosphere, I thought. The sort of atmosphere I always really like at Ellen Road, where the, the sea change is probably a good way of, of putting it, or perhaps loss of patience to the degree at which people seem to be taking liberties with the club. And I think that, in my experience, is always what tends to tends to fire up Ellen Road the most. It obviously hadn't gone unnoticed that Willie Nonto had submitted a transfer request shortly before kickoff. And that, that I guess, wasn't what was already a, a fairly bitter situation or, or you know, bitter mood between him and the crowd. But I think it's just been a build-up of things through the summer. And, and it, it does, from time to time, get to this stage at Leeds where even if people have issues with the management of the club, the way the club's been run, things that haven't happened, things that should have happened, you know, gripes with, with what's going on internally, there's only only so much you can take where it feels like people are having a pop at your club before the tide starts to turn. And I felt like I could feel that from the off on Friday night. It was like that willingness to fight anybody. And I asked Farka afterwards whether it needs to be like that at the moment because... Anyone can see that he has a lot on his plate. It's a difficult situation to manage as a as a manager, as a head coach, because there's a lot of it that you can't directly influence, a lot of it that you can't control. And I think he knows that this is an awkward time. I think he knows that it's a period where Leeds need to grit their teeth and, and get through it. And I felt as if the crowd kind of gave that impression as well on Friday night, that actually, rather than fighting amongst each other and, and rather than, every, you know, even just for one night, just 
kind of close ranks and and make it happen. And it, it felt like one of those evenings where Leeds were never going to go away with nothing. Even when, when West Brom scored, you, you felt as if something was going to come out of that game because it just was that kind of tone of evening. I would say arguably we're at our best, aren't we, as a fan base when it's backs to the walls, circling the wagons territory. You think back to like the minus 15 season when Ken Bates set up the EFL to be the, the common enemy. So everyone had a, a, a direction in which to focus their ire and their anger and you could argue that what Willie Nonto did on Friday, submitting that transfer request, going into it, I thought, that's really, really bad and deliberate timing, almost like trying to trying to burn your bridges deliberately in order to force this move through. But actually, when you got into the stadium, it translated into that defiance that we're talking about there and and um, a real, not a spiky atmosphere in the sense that it could have gotten comfortable at any point, but when Leeds fans just have that that little devil on their shoulder. Different types of anger, isn't it? You've seen nights, and I have as well. Uh, I can think particularly of Jesse Marsh's first home game against Aston Villa, but other moments last season where it's introspection and the anger and the frustration is internal and it's directed internally. But this was different on Friday in that it seemed to be more about the external factors and, and like you say, the, the, the impression of person after person taking liberty with the club. You had Adams, Tyler Adams on his way out to Bournemouth by that point, something we should speak about at, at more length. But with Nonto as well, I think what happened on Friday, has the transfer request was submitted around about an hour and a half before kickoff. And the cynic in you says that that doesn't look wholly accidental or, or coincidental in the same way as you know the decision not to travel to Birmingham came really as the, the team bus was about to leave Thorpe Arch. Having trained for a couple of days, the message was given to Farker just as everybody was was about to leave and, and to go south. And whereas I think first time around, and there's no doubt at all that there was anger to that initial decision not to go to Birmingham, but whereas you know you, you have, I guess, a little bit of wriggle room where you can say, you could put this down to youth, you could put it down to inexperience, you could put it down to just bad judgment, uh, a, a kind of mistake on the part of the player or the player's camp. I think to follow that up with a formal written transfer request it means there's absolutely no doubt about the fact now that Nonto is trying to force his way out and, and that this is a concerted effort to get Leeds to sell him. And I do think it's rapidly burning bridges and it does leave the question in my head of how easily you could now reintegrate Nonto. Were he not to leave and, and were he still to be around the club? I mean, I'm not naive. I know that when a player starts playing well again, people people's attitudes shift and, and you want them more. And I know from Farkas' history that he's dealt with similar situations with Todd Cantwell and um, Emmy Buendia at Norwich, you know, the transfer speculation that he kind of lost patience with, so pushed them out onto the fringes, ostracised them from the, the first-team squad, but then brought them back into the fold and and they became you know key players in, in the season that followed. But this feels different and this feels more difficult to handle now. And it still feels rather difficult to call it in terms of does Nonto stay or does he go? Because the club are very resolute in insisting that he won't be sold. But again, I don't think they're naive about this sort of situation and about the, the problems it causes and, and the fact that he might be an asset, but he's clearly unhappy and he clearly doesn't want to be here. So what do you do? There's probably two schools of thought. There's like a duality to it almost, isn't there? In that you think, right, fine. Make the little bastard stay in the reserves, keep him there forever, run down his entire contract, ruin his career. Um, the, the flip side to that is, uh, if a big enough offer comes in, flog him. And there'll be people who perhaps think both things at once. I know I've thought it at different times that, yeah, the the heart and the head say different things. I'm thinking, well, if we get a good enough price for him, get him out of here. But also, I want to teach him a lesson. So 
it, it, like you, I guess that's that's it's knowing which side of the, the coin this is going to land on, isn't it? It can't go to extremes. This um, th- there's no value to Leeds in, as you put it, you know, burning four years of his career and and getting nothing out of him financially, getting nothing out of him in performance terms, and almost cutting off your nose to spite your face. But from a PR perspective, I don't think Leeds can be seen to bend on this for a poor price. You know, I think having having let the narrative run the way that it has and having taken the stance that they have. I think if Nonto is to leave, they have to be seen to be winning with this. You know, they have to be seen to be taking an amount of money, which makes, you know, the average person say that makes sense because it's at a level where it's it's good value for a player like Nonto, but it's also good money for somebody who evidently does not want to be in the building and would like to go elsewhere, would like to be playing for a different club, is not happy uh, and is not necessarily going to contribute a great deal. I don't think by any stretch there is no upper price for um, Nonto. I don't think there should be um, no upper price for Nonto. I think in in the discussion of every player having the value, that should apply to him too. I think there is a level where if somebody gets to it, Leeds should take the money, you know, and and accept that he wants to leave, he can go, and and it works out well for them financially. But I do think PR-wise, they do need to to be seen to come out out best, let's come out on, on the right side. But if they do get poor offers then equally, I think they do need to, to stick to the guns. And I think they do need to prove that, you know, the rhetoric of not being bullied, not being dictated to by Nonto or Nonto's camp, in reality actually holds, you know, and that it's not just talk, that that, that is how they feel and, and that is what they do. Because it, I do think while there's a lot of player power in football and, and increasing amounts as time goes on, it doesn't set a great precedent or a great example that any time you're unhappy, with no mechanism to get out of the club, no release clause, you can stamp your feet and make demands in a way that a club give in to. You know, I don't think that can can be allowed to happen. But at the same time, him rotting away in the reserves for ages, which quite honestly, very, very rarely happens in football anyway, but that's not a, a solution for anybody. With reference to the PR aspect of it, and you talk about narrative there as well, Phil, there is the the bigger narrative picture, which is it's felt like this summer has escaped the control of the club and by extension, I guess that means the owners, the 49ers, it feels like they haven't come in yet and been able to control where this is going. And I'm thinking, you know, specifically about the transfer market at the minute, both incomings and outgoings. Whereas this is the first opportunity for them to take control of a situation. And we have the luxury of having four years in the bank of his contract, haven't we? So it is an important first marker to lay down, if you like. I said in the report I wrote after the Birmingham game that it was, in terms of an individual player, it was the first real test as owners, the non-to-1. It's it's fine to expect more of the release clauses that are in the contracts, but I think if you're being fair to the club, because those contracts exist in the way that they do and those clauses exist, they have very little influence over people who who want to go and, and have the right to go. You know, it becomes the decision of the players. And as we've said a few times now, it become abundantly clear most of these players want to leave, you know, don't want to stay in and play in the championship. But Nonto is different because he doesn't have a release clause and because they can keep him. So this is an opportunity for the ownership to flex their muscles to a degree and to say, you know, if we don't want to sell you, we won't sell you. But I think, as I say, if they do decide to sell him and they sell him for a really good price, I don't think they'll come in for criticism for that. I think people will understand the predicament that they're in, but it is important to be seen. Um, to do that, you know, and it is as I say, it's important to be seen to win in these circumstances. In the way, for example, that Brighton seem to do time and time again with players who want to move on. We were saying just before we started recording, and I mentioned actually on the on the match ball, I enjoyed Friday. 
Um, I did. Yeah, it was, um, I say it was, there was fun to be had there, I thought, even if it wasn't perfect and the sort of origin of the fun was based in the idea that there are better things to come in terms of more incomings, the football will get better, we'll see more of Farkas plan getting executed. But as a standalone experience, it was quite fun. Um, we, we performed well, I thought. There's part of me that removes the Birmingham game from the equation slightly on the basis that that, that team was so weak. And and again, it was on, on Friday night. But I think away at St Andrews in those type of circumstances with that front four in particular, it was hard to expect very much from that game. But I still maintain that Leeds were right in that game. And I don't think it would have asked much of, say, a player like Sinistera or Nonto to have turned that and, and to have won it for Leeds in the way that, that Birmingham nicked it towards the end. And in the way that I think Dembele made a big difference for Birmingham in, in the last 15 minutes. But I look at Leeds outplaying Cardiff as they did. I look at them outplaying West Brom as they did, in my view, on, on Friday. And West Brom, I would expect to have a better season than Cardiff. I think they'll finish further up the table. I think they'll be a, a stronger championship side without me looking at them and thinking they're going to run away with the division. I don't think they're at that level. But they're established in this league and Corbyn is established as a head coach there. And you can't pretend that at the moment Leeds don't, to some extent, have an arm tied behind the back with the resources that they have, the players available, the, the, the kind of... The, the the low pace of incomings in this transfer window. And yet, you know, they, they were unlucky not to beat West Prom, I felt. They they would have deserved to have beaten Cardiff, irrespective of the fact that they were 2-0 down. They, they could have nicked a point at Birmingham. And the, the kind of optimist in me is thinking that I can only see Leeds as a team getting stronger from here because they are almost done with the outgoing, surely. The, there will be arrivals before the end of the window on the basis that they have to be. And I did think in, in spells of Friday, they, they played well and they, they had a plan which they followed. Um, tactically, it seemed to work well enough. I was impressed with Dan James, whose running was just a constant handful and, and put a lot of pressure on West Brom. I thought Shackleton's energy made a, a big difference. It's not as if it was all entirely perfect. I thought Ruta had quite a difficult game up front and ju- is just waiting to you know for the fuse to light. But it was it was Leeds' game most of it. Um, I I thought they were they were the better side. I think VAR would have ruled out West Brom's goal without any doubt. It might have given Leeds a penalty in the second half. All in all, I felt West Brom were quite lucky to get out of that with a point. In terms of Ruta's performance, and he's probably coming for the most criticism, and it's not been excessive criticism. I don't think just no, people think so. people saying um, he's yet to to catch fire. He, he didn't really have that that thing going on on, on Friday. I wonder how much of that was down to the fact that uh, West Brom were pretty defensive and pretty compact because you saw them lining up. It was effectively like a 5-4-1, wasn't it, for most of the game, particularly when they were out of possession. They were dropping back into that very defensive um, defensive formation. So he was kind of stuck in the middle of that. It meant Leeds were kind of forced to keep going wide and move across the park from side to side, trying to just push and find those openings, which I think is possibly why you saw so much of Dan James in the game. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and also Shackleton in the, the role that he was in. He, he saw a lot of the ball. It, it didn't make it easy for Ruta. Um, I think I'm still to be convinced that Ruta is an out-and-out out nine in the championship. But I also wonder whether he is a bit of a confidence player and whether he really needs something to happen for him just to get him going. Goal, assist, something like that, that, that gets him taken over. I suppose gets people talking slightly more positively about him and, and makes him feel like he might be about to to get on a bit of a roll. I, I think to put it simply, nothing that's happened in the first couple of weeks of the season has dissuaded me from thinking that Leeds need to sign a centre-forward and, and need a nine in that area. But it was a, a strong performance. I think, again, as strong as you could have 
expected. And I, I feel like Fark is doing a good job. I, I honestly do. I don't think this is simple for him at all. I think it's possibly slightly more complex than he was hoping it, it would be when he, he first took the job. It's not as if the results have been blinding, but they have been able to dig a couple of points out from games that you know were, were turning against them uh, at various points. And you did wonder at 1-0 down whether West Brom would go on and, and wrap that game up. But there were aspects of West Brom's game which were slightly confusing to me. They, they tried hard to play out from the back, but either they weren't very good at it or the way Leeds were pressing was causing them a real problem and perhaps it was a mixture of the two. But they seemed to tie themselves in knots constantly and, and almost invite pressure onto them. I think it goes down as a good performance in the circumstances. I'm, I'm quite encouraged by that. I'm encouraged by the way that Farker's tactics are, are starting to take hold. I get that it's not perfect and I get that it doesn't take that long in a season when you run to the stage where people start to look for results above anything else. But just to, to kind of reiterate, I, I, I can only see the squad getting stronger from here. And on that basis, these can't be bad signs. No, it looked all right to me. I did say the same thing to my dad, you know, um, sat next to him, that it looked like we could get at their, um, their defence as they tried to pass it out. They were just sort of dallying on the ball just for that half a second too long at times, weren't they? Yeah. There were a couple of kind of moments where the crowd went, <gasps> uh, drew breath when it looked like Leeds might just nick the ball off their toe. Yeah, I don't think the passing was sharp enough or, or had enough conviction in it. And and that does tend to give a pressing team the encouragement to think, if you get on the case here, you'll you'll be able to nick the ball, you will come up with turnovers. And that's pretty much what, what happened. And again, because there was so little on the bench and because it wasn't really a front four as, as Farker would have loved it to be, there wasn't the really the, the kind of attacking quality there, which actually could have done for West Brom quite easily given the amount of possession and, and you know decent positions that Leeds got them got themselves into. But but that's the situation as it stands. You know, it was an even smaller bench on Friday than it had been at Birmingham Birmingham. And again, you know, two goalkeepers on the bench, you're only going to use them if you have an injury or you have a red card. You know, it's highly unusual. And I can only really think of Rahubka in all my time recovering Leeds where you actually have to drag a, a goalkeeper off the pitch. That aside, there really wasn't much there for Farker to, to change the game with. But even though Coburn had a much stronger hand and you know more players to use and more ways of, of changing the game, I don't really feel like he did that. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a US-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. What do you think Leeds did well on Friday, Phil? I think they followed the plan. And I think as well, and this probably is an extension of Farker's own attitude, they don't seem to be feeling overly sorry for themselves. I can't imagine that it's a, a particularly great situation in the dressing room, seeing player after player bailing out, seeing players trying to actively force the way out if if it's not easy for them to to find a move. I've listened to the criticism of Ailing in the first couple of weeks of the season, and I do think we're past the point of peak Luke Ailing now, and, and there have been questions about bits of his form. But that was a banging header on um, Friday, cracking goal. And I just think in his reaction, there's there's definitely something important about the fact that he wants to be here because it feels that in the squad that was left behind, 
from last season. There weren't enough people who wanted to be here or didn't want to be here enough that relegation made them think they might stick around. And I, I, I was pleased for him because it won't be easy this. He, and also, I, I do genuinely sympathise with footballers when they go past the peak and, and it becomes harder and harder because your body's your body, your mind's your mind. And sometimes as hard as you work, as hard as you train, there's, there's very little you can you can do about it. But I think him scoring in the way that he did and his reaction to the goal, it epitomised the whole atmosphere, I thought, on Friday night. Just that thing of a bit of resistance and a bit of defiance exactly when it was needed. And you see the way in which people are talking about Luke Ayling and compare and contrast it to the response to Tyler Adams leaving. And the key difference is Ayling has got a lot of credit in the bank. He's achieved something at Leeds, whereas Adams, whilst he was a good player and probably arguably our best last season when he was available, he's not accumulated the same credit that that Luke Ayling has, has he? No, definitely not. And and I think that does matter. You know, I think that does make a difference to the way in which you're, you're perceived. I mean, I, I don't want to suggest to anybody that this is a good situation and we should all be absolutely loving it. But there is something quite interesting about seeing a club, and actually in the long term, there can be something quite good about a club having to almost start from scratch. And I, I came away on Friday feeling like that's almost where we are now with Leeds. That it, it's For so long, it was, it was the idea of building something and particularly through the Bielsa era of this is going to lead to X and it'll lead to Y and it'll, you know, it, and quite honestly, it should have set Leeds up for years at that level, but it didn't. And I think where we are now, it's almost back to, to square one. It's a squad that needs rebuilt. It's a good credible coach who's starting out but is going to need a reasonable amount of patience and, and a good amount of time to have a proper crack at this. It's new ownership who, who have an awful lot to do. So it's a teething period and, and teething periods don't tend to be very satisfying for people. They don't tend to bring a huge amount of enjoyment. They don't tend to bring a huge amount of, of satisfaction. But maybe it's not a bad thing that actually the slate's having to be wiped clean at the moment because it feels more and more like it needs it. I said similar on um, on the match ball on on Friday night, and you have to forgive us. They're they're banging in the office downstairs doing the renovations again. So I will mute my mics when you're talking, Phil, so people don't hear a thud 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 in the background. Yeah, I said similar on the match ball. I, I just felt like you're seeing these first green shoots of something new coming, and that's what that's what Leeds fans want. It's what football fans want, surely more than anything, is just something to get behind, something to believe in. And you saw it in huge amounts when Bielsa was here. It was something everybody could see happening on the pitch it was something tangible to get behind and it feels like we're in the very early sort of baby steps phases of of that again with Farker and, and I described him as sort of being the glue that's holding it all together and we're seeing the, just these little signs that there's a there is a plan in action finally and that maybe you know the longer this window's gone on the more I've kind of become attuned to the idea that clearing the decks here is not a bad thing necessarily you know getting rid of all these players who underperformed maybe didn't care had the loan clauses maybe weren't fully invested in it all so much last year they're all on their way out and we're bringing in players like Ethan Ampadu who seems he seems hungry for what he's trying to do you know he's trying to push his career on and make Leeds United better Is this in the end a window where it's a case of draining the swamp slightly and a window that the club however it works out and, and however the strong the squad looks at the end of it just as a starting point need to get out the other side of I mean I, I find it quite telling that both you know, Farker and then Luke Ayling post-match on Friday were asked about the transfer window and, and I'm making no secret of the need for incomings. You know, Ayling, I thought, was was very open about that. And this is the time where you need to be honest about things and I think where, where you need to, to speak openly for the, the sake of your, your support as much as anything else. But 
both of them have also said it'll be quite a relief just to get to the end of this window. You know, Farkas said he'll have a proper sleep on September the 2nd. And I think whereas nobody is going to be pleased if they get to the end of the window and it doesn't feel like the squad is strong enough, I think there will be a sense of relief, certainly internally, about a bit of certainty, you know, a bit of surety about who's here, who's not, who who really wants to go, who who really wants to stay, almost as a basic starting point. That's kind of kind of what's needed. But I do agree with you. It's not going to be Bielsa Mark II this. It's not going to be the same, however it, it works out. But I do feel with Farka that you do have a coach who you can pin some hope and optimism to and, and who you can you can have a decent amount of, of confidence in because of his track record. And I think because of what he's done and, and the way in which he's managed this squad through a, a really tricky summer. These are I remember, you know, I've seen various awkward close seasons at Leeds, probably the most difficult by a mile, 07 08 under Dennis Wise. It's tough keeping it together in these circumstances. It's not easy. And I think it speaks pretty highly of Farkas' management. And and not to mention the fact that with Nonto and Sinistera. When it's come to the point where there have been doubts about the commitment, it has been a case of get out of my dressing room, get away from my squad. If you're ready and you sort yourself out, then you can come back. And there are shades of the Bielsa's in that, I think, because he was very, very clear whenever he had a player who was in two minds about whether they wanted to to be there, that if they were thinking like that, then they might as well leave. It all does feel fairly cutthroat. And maybe that's what's been been needed at Leeds. It feels like the players, particularly with like all these loan clauses, have had their uh, their way far too much and and we saw that manifest maybe in the the very very brief statement that surrounded the departure of Tyler Adams I mean it, it, what was it eight ten words or something like that yeah. very can, very you little can read, you can read the million things um, into a statement like that and most of what you're thinking will be accurate yeah yeah let's talk about that if we can because it's been interesting watching this window because because the amount of churn I think I mean interesting it's probably understating it a little bit. It's been quite fraught, really, hasn't it? But I'm interested now, having, having spoken to you and, and spent time with you to see how fans consume things as well. And, and the reason I mention this is because you said to me a week ago, after we finished recording the Monday show last week, so it was the 14th, we, we thought we were coming round for the end of these these clauses all expiring. And we saw, we saw Tyler Adams' um, clause potentially expiring, in which he could leave. Again, excuse the, the drilling noise downstairs. Have you, have you got Nonto locked in your basement and he's trying to get out? It feels like they are drilling directly into my feet. I can feel it vibrating <laughs> through the floor beneath me. So please excuse us. You have to forgive me. It will be over soon. I think it'll be over in the in the next few weeks. Yeah, you said to me after that one, so last Monday after we were recording, you said, he's still going to go to Bournemouth, you know? And I was like, okay, right. Why, why do you think that? And we just chatted about it. And I just wondered, could, could you just explain sort of your process from that point last Monday through to where we are today on Monday the 21st? And, and why wasn't that reported immediately? And why did it take till the end of the week for that to all unfold? It was, yeah, it was a strange process through the week. I had had a tip off on the Monday morning that Bournemouth were about to come in from strongly, but I hadn't been able to check it before I, I was recording with you. So we'd had that conversation afterwards where I said, listen, I, I think that's, that's going to happen. And genuinely, everybody was expecting that to move from Monday night, when it became when it started to be reported that the Bournemouth were actually moving from, they'd been interested all summer, but it hadn't really made any progress. And I think Adams quite clearly was more minded for a move to somewhere like Chelsea, which you, you can understand. But once it started to move on Monday, the the assumption was right. Well, it's going to go through rapidly now because they'll get this done before his his clause elapses. No, no reason not to. And then it was quiet all day Tuesday with very little being said about him. And then on Wednesday, we went to Farkas' press conference and Farkas said, 
didn't say in as many words that the clauses were about to elapse or had elapsed, which they had. They'd run out by that point. But, you know, he was careful not to, to give too much detail. And it became clear that Adams was actually at Thorpe Arch. He'd been there on the Wednesday, which begged the question of, is he staying? And, and if he isn't staying and if he is going to Bournemouth, why haven't Bournemouth got this done? You know, it's quite clear that there's a, a clause in his contract. It, it opens the door to, to get it completed. But what's become obvious through the weekend from speaking to, to all sides is that this became quite messy legally. I think there was a, a dispute. Certainly Bournemouth's impression was that they'd activated Adam's release clause and should have been able to sign him before the deadline. Leeds didn't feel that they had to add to the complications and some people might find this amusing, but the clause is supposed to be confidential. So technically speaking, a bidding club should not know what's in it and shouldn't know exactly what it is that they're, yeah, yeah, head flicking eye roll. Um, they shouldn't know what, what's there. So it all became fractious. It all got, uh, you know, it, it, I think in the end, it got to the stage where Bournemouth paid more because they wanted the player paid more than the release clause, about £23 million up front. Adams wanted the move, so was happy to see it resolved. Leeds, again, could see from you know Adams' demeanour and what he was saying that he wanted to go, that there was absolutely no point in trying to convince him that, that he could be part of this season. So it was in the best interest of everybody, just minus any kind of legal messaging about to, to get this done and for him to go. And I've said all summer that I, I do think there are very few situations now in which it's worth keeping players who really, really want to to get out the door. You have to look after yourself financially, but football seems to have re- reached the point now where keeping and almost, you know, rehabilitating unhappy players, footballers, is extremely difficult. It's interesting, that, isn't it? Because once those clauses passed, in my mind, you're thinking, well, they might be able to get like 30 million for Adams if he is to go. Oh, um, hopefully we'll, we'll get to keep him. Didn't transpire that way. So we're saying basically that they're, they reached a point between them where Bournemouth pay a bit more, Leeds get a bit more. It stops the legal troubles. It keeps all all three sides player and the two clubs happy just to get this one dealt with and and out the door. And it's and it's given Leeds seven million quid's worth of FFP headroom, hasn't it? Well, very much so. And there will be add-ons in the the clause as well and the contract that they've agreed with Bournemouth as well. But the the alternative scenario was Bournemouth don't get a player that they really want to sign. Adams is stuck at a club where he doesn't want to be. Leeds are stuck with a player who doesn't want to be there and who they can't really make any use of uh, on that basis and who would otherwise bring them in £23 million plus. Football can be quite pragmatic in those circumstances. And I think in the same way as you know, you saw the, the dispute between Leeds and RB Leipzig over Jean-Kevin Augustine, which went on forever, needed a, you know, a, a lot of um, legal process to sort out. Despite that, there was no issue at all when it came to Leeds signing Tyler Adams from Leipzig. You know, it was just these things happen because money tends to talk. And in the end, it would have made no sense for anybody to have dug their heels in with Adams. Yeah, it's given money for Leeds to spend to move into the market. And surely, surely, this is the week where stuff starts to happen. And it feels like Groundhog Day when we're saying this on this show because we've been saying it now for weeks, months. Just get stuff done now. Because so I enjoy I enjoyed Friday night on the basis that more stuff will happen. We'll build more on top of the foundations that we saw on Friday. And surely, to high heaven, it has to happen this week before we head off to Ipswich. Yeah, I mean, as part of the report, I was saying it was proper closing the ranks on Friday, but you knew come Saturday morning the introspection would start again because Leeds can't get away from the questions about what they need to do and, and how well this needs to go. They're going to have to play it extremely well over the next fortnight. Because these are these are difficult stages at which to sign players. More players tend to become available, but more clubs start to look at their own squads and think, actually, we could do with a bit more here, we could do with a bit more there. It becomes really, really competitive. Um, I mean, we saw with 
Gustavo Hamer at, at Coventry, somebody Leeds were in for, but couldn't couldn't afford in the same way that Sheffield United could. So he was off to Bramall Lane. You'll have seen the links to Cameron Archer down at Aston Villa. They, they do like Archer, but again, the feeling the vibe seems to be that that if he goes from Villa, he'll go to the Premier League. And again, Sheffield United seem very, very keen on him. And this is the game, really. This is how how difficult it is that and and this this conversation been going on for a few years, really. But the the fact that so many clubs are after the same small group of players, you know, the, the group of players out there that to a degree everybody is interested in, and it makes it competitive. It makes it really difficult. But Leeds will know that the pressure is on now, and and they, you know. In order for Farker to have a good first year, he needs more than he has. Everybody can see that. Everybody would agree on that. There's very little more, I think, that Farker can do now. Um, this is going to come down to the recruitment team and it's going to come down in no small way to money when it comes to actually getting getting who they want. But it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a crucial period, this, in the context of this season. Do you reckon that's been one of the factors in the slow movement in the window a little bit? The fact that they are shopping in a relatively small pool uh, of players that, that they want to bring in, and um, the, these it's the sort of it's the fringe Premier League players, isn't it? The young players who maybe don't have a future, or you look at someone like Archer, for example, at Villa, who it seems like they're prepared to sell in order to free up FFP money for themselves, so they can enter the market. So, it's the, is it the dominoes fall in that kind of thing? Well, if you're in the market for that sort of player, a lot of those players do tend to move late on in the window because it, it what happens with them and, and the way their future is dictated often depends on what else their parent club does, you know, whether they leave alone or, or leave permanently. The club that they're at at the moment will have things going on in the background that will dictate where they stand in the pecking order, whether or not they're likely to get a game, whether or not it makes sense to, to move on. And you also can't discount the possibility that in the next couple of weeks, the plans or the, the thoughts of Premier League clubs um, will, will change on the basis of injuries picked up, suspensions picked up, the sudden realisation that actually you might need a player who you're thinking, thinking of moving out. It's it's always, always a, a right tangle um, the last couple of weeks of the transfer window. And given the way this entire window has gone generally, I'm not talking about Leeds specifically, but the amount of movement that there's been, the amount of expenditure that there's been, it really does make you wonder what's going to go on before the deadline passes. Reminds me of my approach to doing like revision and assignments at university. Always leave it to the last very minute. the very last push up yeah, to get it done. Why is football like that? Why don't they do stuff early? Yeah, but I suppose you could ask the same question about your revision and um, university thesis. And in the end, if you end up getting a first, then you can sit back and go, ah, well, it all worked out, didn't it? Um, yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> the, the fact is, no, it would be impossible for every club to do their business in good time. And it would be therefore impossible for every fan base to be placated by clubs operating in a perfectly, perfectly sensible way. And the transfer window, as time goes on, and and the the money involved just does seem to encourage that increased level of chaos, you know, and, and unpredictability. I don't know that there was a long period where people seemed to where the transfer window became very in vogue, you know, and it was exciting and it was enjoyable. I don't know whether people feel the same about it. I guess if you land a lot of really good players, I have to say I like the recruitment that's gone on at Hearts. Um, this summer, I, I, you know, I, I can look at that and, and think that's, you know, I've enjoyed seeing these players coming in because they're the pretty interesting crop. But it just seems to be a, a source of annoyance the transfer window for most people. I feel with little little bursts of um, excitement in between empty weeks where you don't quite know what to do with yourself. It's um, yeah, it's strange. It's a source of stress as much as anything, isn't it? As as annoyance. Yeah, uh, I've just found it stressful this year, and I want it to go away. 
But as, as you've been writing, like the Leeds as a fan base or as a club rather, both simultaneously need the window to go on so they can get the business done that they want. But I think also want it to close so they know exactly what they've got. And um, yeah, well, well, twelve days to go, Phil. Anyway, twelve days to go, and Fabrizio Romano can finally get some sleep. It's fair to see it from both points of view. You know that it would be nice for the window to be shut so that you no longer have anybody agitating in the same way. There's there's nothing for them to agitate for. Um, because if it's September and you're asking for a move, then by definition you have to wait until January. You know, so you've got months and months ahead of you. But it's surely better to to be playing. I mean, Nonto, for example, part of his motivation for doing this seems to be that he worries that if he's in the championship, he's not going to get called up by Italy for the Euros. But if he's not playing at all, he's certainly not going to get called up by Italy um, for the Euros. So it becomes a bit of a catch-22 for him. But equally, the window needs to stay open because Leeds do need players and, and everybody can see that. So that's the that's the balance that they're in. But I think you're right. Um, I, I mean, one, one of the things I really liked about the Bielsa era was that it didn't really come down to recruitment to begin with. You know, it wasn't about how much money you spend and who you say. I get that he was an expensive coach in the championship, but that wasn't what it was all founded on. It wasn't founded on who have we signed and, and what have, you know, what have we got? How much money have we spent? I think it's hard to deny that in the end, it did come down to recruitment in that you were looking at his squad in the Premier League and whatever errors Bielsa was making, you were saying the squad's not good enough. You know, like his squad is not strong enough. And the signings that have been made haven't worked well enough. But that was that was almost like a little Alcyon period that where it was about the tactics and it was about the attitude and mentality and the, and the vision of what the team should be doing rather than the constant question of how much can we spend, how much should we be spending. Yeah, the whole Bielsa era kind of transcended that up to a point until, like you say, it came crashing up against the the reality of the Premier League and the just the sheer money that you you face and the quality that you face as a result of of all that money sloshing around but it, it was a beautiful thing wasn't it and there's no reason why we can't have it back again you know um, it might not be exactly the same as you said earlier on it's not going to be Bielsa Mark 2 under Farker but we could still have something pretty nice I, I think it just needs to be small steps at the moment and it needs to be small steps in the short term I think for, for the mood of everybody so this week if if you saw couple of players come in this week and then they go to Ipswich, which I think anybody should pretend is an easy game and they dig something out of that. It's it's enough in that window, you know, enough in that little spell to make people feel like um, you're moving forward. And I very much feel like that's how Fark is looking at it at the moment. It's difficult for him, even though he talks a lot about medium to long term, and I genuinely think that it, that fundamentally is how he wants to work and, and how he wants this to play out. He will be kind of going day to day at the moment, game to game, Injury to injury, you know, defection to defection and and just trying to keep the show on the road. And I think he's doing a pretty good job of it. Yeah, you mentioned Ipswich. We'll preview that towards the back end of the week. Just a heads up, there won't be a Monday show next week because I'm in Ireland at a wedding. Michael's away as well. Um, So we'll um, we'll take the bank holiday off if it's all the same with you next Monday, Phil. But we will preview the Ipswich game um, ahead of the bank holiday. I could always just go down to the bottom of the garden and howl at the moon. (laughs) That's the story of the transfer window, isn't it? Uh, at this moment in time. Right, Phil, enjoy the rest of your week. We'll catch up towards the back end. Thank you. We'll see you soon. The Square Ball Podcast. Confidence starts with loving who you are. 
And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 